today is really more of a topical message. Again, playing off of Romans 12, where it says individual members of one another. And I really want to look at what is a church and what is membership in a church. An interesting story comes out of from a number of years ago um, pertaining to Dr. J. Adams. He was fielding questions at a counseling conference in San Diego. And one man raised his hand and asked, should we enact church discipline on people who are not members of our church? Should we do church discipline on people who are not members of our church? And Adams said, of course not. Church discipline is only for believers. A questioning rumble passed through the room and So he explained further, people who are not members of a church should be treated like unbelievers because they are treating themselves like unbelievers. A stronger wave of murmurs swept through the audience and a multitude of hands shot up. Well, what if your church doesn't have church membership was the next question. Well, your church doesn't have church membership? Adams replied. The man went on to explain that he was from a certain denomination, as were most in the attendance, and that the leaders of which did not believe that having a church role of any kind because they felt that it was unnecessary, a legalistic requirement to place people under church membership. So in effect, Jay Adams had just told several hundred pastors and counselors and committed lay people that they should all be treated as unbelievers. Jay had known about the denomination's policy, and he purposely said it not to be insulting, but to get them to think, to grab their attention. And by the way, I read that illustration not to be insulting, because if you say, well, but I'm not a member, you call me an unbeliever. No, I'm not saying that. But I am trying to get your attention as to the importance of church membership. Again, it does say in Hebrews, let us consider how to stimulate one another, uh, not forsaking the assembling of yourself together. Again, the context is about local believers. The one another's of Scripture primarily point to the fact of believers joining themselves to a local body of believers. So again, believers joining themselves to the local family, as it were. One man wrote in the Westminster Confession of Faith, he said it this way, It is clear that in the days of the apostles it was a universal practice to receive believers into the visible church. What could be more logical? He who believes in Christ is united with Christ. Faith binds him to Christ. He is a member of Christ's body in the invisible church. But the visible church is but an outward manifestation of that body. Every member of the invisible church should, as a matter of course, be a member of a visible church. Now this is significant because like in Acts 2 it says they were added to the church. You had a visible body of believers in Jerusalem and some were added Not only does the Lord Jesus require of those who are saved that they unite with the church, He Himself joins them to the church. And the reference is unmistakably the visible church. I continue reading. Does it follow that He who is outside the visible church is is necessarily outside of Christ? Certainly not. In other words, you can be a believer and not in a local church. But that is unusual. I like how this author puts it. That is very unusual to find a believer that doesn't connect with the local church. 
but such instances are exceptional. The scriptural rule is that while membership in the church is not a prerequisite for salvation, it is a necessary consequence of salvation. You don't have to join a church to get saved. Are we all agreeing on that? (laughs) Amen. It's only through the blood of Christ. But it's a natural consequence of salvation that you join yourself to a local body of believers that show that you are part of the universal body of believers. That's the ecclesia, the church. That's the word church in Scripture, the called out assembly. The group who've been called out of the world by Jesus Christ and have been placed into the universal body of Christ. Again, I want to make sure as we look at what is the church, the first point, we have the universal church, we have the local church. The universal is made up, the universal church is made up of all believers since the day of Pentecost who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and every one of them are truly saved. That's the universal church. But then you also have in Scripture the local church. Not everybody who is a member of a local church is saved. Some have snuck in unaware. Well, some just because of the way the church is set up. There's a lot of apostate churches out there. But let me remind you of this. Out of the 110 times that the word ecclesia is used, only about 17 of those 110 times is it used of the universal church. Over 90 times it's used of the local church. Now get that. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God, when, he, when they wrote the scriptures in the New Testament... We're saying basically this, when you talk about church, yes, there's the universal. All believers of all time, I mean, since the day of Pentecost, who have put their faith in Christ. But you have this, the local church. And that's what, in other words, if you want to show who you really are, join yourself to a local church. Very, very important. Join yourself to the local church. Join yourself to the family. In fact, the, the uh, title is join. You could say this, join to the family. <laughs> Again, membership. Now, I'm going I'm to say something now that you're going to say, well, you just destroyed your argument. Membership is not used anywhere in the Bible. By the way, Trinity is not either. <laughs> no matter how hard you look, you will never find a verse or passage in the New Testament that directly commands believers to maintain membership roles or establish membership procedures. Well, again, you, know, you don't find any... One verse in the Bible that proclaims Trinity like we believe it. Okay, so, such direct commands are simply never given as far as membership. And there are no clear examples in the New Testament of written membership lists being kept. I'm saying one verse where it says, this is what you do, this is how you operate in the church. Now, we are having Membership Sunday. I've just told you about membership and it's important, but now I'm telling you you don't see it clearly explicit in Scripture. So, the question is this. Is membership in addition to Scripture? Is it some legalistic tradition? Because a lot of people would say that. I mean, it's like a legalistic tradition that adds to the simplicity of being in Christ. I've heard it kind of said that way. Again, many think of this this way of membership and actually reject it. And by the way, there are a lot of churches you can go to that have no membership. In fact, you may say, well, you have membership. I've been coming here for a while. I've seen your... You're really strict on it. You know, I don't know if I really want to be part of this church. <laughs> By the way, I question whether even to do a message on membership because, again, sometimes people say, well, that's not what I want. But again, as I've actually studied more this week, to, because I did a message years ago, and, you know, and, and those who came into membership, 
studied about membership. But I thought, you know, I'm going to really just look at it new and fresh for this week. I just wanted to, you know, are we really solid on the fact of how important it is? And I came away saying, man, it is so critical. In fact, I I actually said this, no wonder we have difficulty in some of the issues in this church, i.e. shepherding being the primary one, because it's so hard to shepherd when you're not sure of who you're shepherding. (laughs) Because if you're not a member, I'm not sure how you're connected. See, add to that the, not being that it's not explicit in Scripture, add to that our own individual Western society, especially in America, I mean, think about what our culture says. Self is the center. Self-reliance, self-worth, self-esteem, self-fulfillment. It goes against what Scripture talks about as far as membership, mutual submission, accountability, interdependence. See, that's what the Scripture says we should be as believers, interdependent, individually members of one another, and yet we are living in a culture that says, well, self is the most important. So again... Membership, the idea of being committed to a group, just is almost foreign. Now, let me say it this way. Though membership is not explicitly stated in verses, it is stated implicitly, it is implied, and it is understood as being a fact of the New Testament. So again, according to Scripture, according to the Bible, church membership is a commitment every Christian should make to attend. To attend, to love, to serve, to minister to each other. I mean, I'm going to put that right out. I know, in fact, my wife even asked me when she knew I was going to preach on this. She said, is it really that important? <laughs> and I thought, you know, if the pastor's wife is not sure, I better preach on it. <laughs> no, because again, she would say the same thing. Well, tell, show me the verse. Well, again, let me remind you, there are some very major points of scripture or doctrines in scripture that you're not going to be able to point to one verse and say see I proved it but if you see certain parts of scripture then you start saying okay it can only be that there is membership in fact Roman numeral 2 on your outline says where is membership in the Bible again no direct commands but I believe I can make the point that it's critical that you join not this church, by the way. You may, you know, but a church, you know, the church that you're going to. I say not this church because maybe you're just visiting and, and you may not end up landing here. But if you land here, it's, I believe it's critical that you join. I'm going to call this, by the way, formal church membership. I'm going to keep going back to formal church membership. Repeat after me. Formal church membership. Yeah, because there's a lot of what people might say. Mem- I'm, I'm talking about formal, what you just saw here. Well, let me give you some reasons why I believe it's in the Bible. One is the flow of Old Testament biblical history demonstrates it. Just the flow of the Old Testament demonstrates that there was membership. See, God made a clear, made a clear distinction to, between His people and the world, even back in the Old Testament. Just one verse out of many, many, many. Leviticus, Leviticus thirteen forty six: He shall dwell alone, His dwelling shall be outside the camp. And you see that over and over and over again. Outside the camp, there was those inside the camp, those outside the camp. Those of the world, those that were, at that point, were uh, Jews, Israel. By the way, I am not making a comparison, I'm making a distinction between Israel and the church. I'm not saying they're the same, but I am saying, even in the Old Testament, God made a distinction between those (coughs) who were part of his group and those who were not. 
So again, just as every believer in the Old Testament was required to identify himself outwardly with God's covenant people, so the New Testament assumes true believers will connect with God's people, i.e. the local church. So the flow demonstrates it, the Old Testament demonstrates it. And you could, again, find many, 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 many verses to back that up. I'm just giving you just the big, big point. Number two, Jesus taught it. Jesus taught it. Go over to Matthew 16, if you will. Jesus established the church to be a public, earthly institution that would mark out, affirm, and oversee those who profess to believe in him. The first mention of the church is found in verse 16 through 18, Matthew 16, 16. Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. We won't go into all the context just to say that. Look at verse 18. And I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock. By the way, he called him little stone. The rock there is him. He's talking about Christ himself. He's talking about himself. And on this rock, Christ himself, I will build, what, what do you say? My church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now you might say, well, that's a universal church. Catch this though. Whatever you, next verse, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And that, according to other passages, especially Matthew 18, is done in the local church. Because he's talking about not only individuals, but as individuals collectively gather together, which you find in the local church. So we're not talking just universal. We're talking universal and local church here. So Jesus proclaimed it. If you go, since you're in Matthew 16, go to Matthew 18. We're going to see this in a moment, but here's a sinner, I mean, a brother who is in sin. Verse 15, Matthew 18, 15. Moreover, if your brother sins against you. By the way, this is a very critical passage of church life, family life in the church. If your brother sins, what do you do? You go tell him his fault between you and him alone. Now catch that. Your brother sins, you don't go out and gossip to your friend. Your brother sins against you, you don't even come to the elders. You, your brother sins against you, what do you do? You go to your brother. We have too much talk in church many times. Too many people are talking about, and they're actually sinning, and they wonder why they're not blessed of God, because they're gossips. What does the Bible say? Your brother sins against you, you go to your brother. But what's the point? That you tell him alone, and if he hears you, you want your brother. What's the point? Restoration. But let's say the guy is stubborn. You ever get stubborn? You ever get stubborn with sin? At times I find myself, I'm stubborn when it comes to sin. I don't want to. So what do you do? You bring in another person. Verse 16. The idea is, I want my brother to repent. Why? Because I want my brother to be restored. That's the whole point. But look at verse 17. And if he refuses to hear them, one, two, three witnesses, tell it to the church. Well, how can you tell a... This is the point. How can you tell a universal church if these people have not yet been identified as to who the church is? Do you see? That is, has to be the local church there. A local body of believers who have identified themselves as on Christ followers. That's who you tell. But if he refuses to hear the church, let him meet you like a heathen and a tax gatherer, like a pagan and a traitor, because a tax gatherer was a traitor to the Jewish people. I mean, again, in the Jewish context, but he's talking about the church. See, Jesus 
wants the world to know who belongs to him and who doesn't. And if a person wants to act like the world, they're unrepentant, then you treat them like they are acting, and that is a pagan and a, and a traitor. Again, we can go into this, and we will in a, in a moment, a little bit more. But you say, I'm still not convinced. Well, think about Revelation. Jesus specifically interacts with the local churches personally in the book of Revelation. Chapter 1, you don't have to turn there, but it says this. Saying, chapter 111, I am the Alpha and the Omega, talking to John as he's writing. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book, book of Revelation, and send it to the seven churches which, is, which are in Asia. He names these local churches. To Ephesus, to Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. You say, well, why are you... Okay, so there's a church. But see, if there's a church, it means there's a gathering of people that say that they're believers. Well, how do you get that, though? Well, you get that through people identify themselves and saying, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And I want to be part of you. So you... Without that happening, there's no way that you can say, well, that's like if we had no church here, no membership, no, well then, yeah, you're a bunch of people scattered around Alfred Alm in a Harnell area, but there's no, like, how would I, how would God communicate to you in a group? Well, there has to be membership. It's assumed. It, this is what I'm saying. It is so assumed in Scripture. It's like God's existence. You know, God doesn't try to prove himself. What does he say? What does he say in Genesis 1-1? In the beginning, God. I don't believe in God. Okay. But I'm just telling you, in the beginning, God. Sometimes it is so obvious. It's just so obvious. So Jesus taught it. Hey, number three. New Testament church models it. Models it. The first church of Jerusalem... Started on the day of Pentecost. This is what it says, Acts 1. This is before actual Pentecost took place. Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. There was around 120, it says. No, actually, about 120. Okay, so we've got a group. By the way, that's interesting. He actually specifies the number, i.e. somebody's counting. Then Peter preached, chapter 2, verse 41... And it says, those who received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. 120 now added. You can't add until you knew specific, and now 3,000 more were added. Somebody's counting. Well, how do you count? Well, by the way, in that day and age, when you were baptized, you were proclaiming. They didn't have membership class. That's that's how we... Because quite honestly, once once you went under the water, you were marked already. You were marked out by the world as being, you're the other. That's why the, the, Jesus said the world's going to hate you. That's why when they went and baptized, many times they gave them new clothes when they came out of the water to change into. Why? Because your, your life is new now. And they knew they had to connect because the world just rejected them once they took that step. Now you say, why don't we just do that? Well, it, it, it might be the way to go. You get baptized, you marked yourself. But again, there's, there's responsibilities to the body of believers. You see this word added a number of times in Acts. Added, then another time about 5,000 men. The word added means a very specific compound meaning, which means placed into. It speaks of a deliberate, calculated act of adding a select number to a greater existing number. 
They were added. Again, they were talking about a local church in those days. He's not talking about the universal. He's talking about that locale in Jerusalem, first church. So they were added. Chapter 2, verse 47. Again, added to the church daily those who were being saved. In chapter 4 of Acts, verse 4, it says, The number of men came to be about 5,000. The number. The word number is from arithmos. We get arithmetic. There again, someone's keeping track. They knew who was joining and who wasn't joining. There was none of this willy-nilly, informal, superficial affiliation. They knew who belonged. That's the point. That is the point. They knew who belonged. Now, up to this point, you may be saying, ah, you're just saying added, but it can still be generic. It could just be that they got saved, and God, being sovereign, knew who it was. Well, let's go to Acts 5, verse uh, 13. 5.13, I think, really gives a clearer picture. This is the chapter of Ananias and Sapphira. They lied to the Holy Spirit. They lied to God. What, what happened to them? They were struck down, right? Look at verse 13, 5.13. Yet none of the rest dared join them. (laughs) The rest there is the unsaved. They saw what was happening. You're part of this group. There's a high standard because they're gods. But if you go, and God will discipline sometimes very severely. They dared, none of the rest dared join them. The word join means to unite, to glue together, to fasten together with them. And I believe very strongly it's a formal joining. Look at verse 14. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord. There again, added. Multitudes of both men and women. But that word join, um, the root of that word, there's a prefix, is the same use as it talks about a man being joined to a woman. How many of you are dating right now? Maybe teenagers? How many? Any daters? Anybody dating? Nobody dating. Bummer. I would say this. If you're dating, you, you better not have joined yourself with the other person. Now, how many of you are married? Let me say this. How many of you are happily married? No, don't go. Uh, um, no, no. He's talking about the man and the woman who are husband and wife who are, are joined to each other. Glued. That's the word that's, that's being used in uh, Acts 5.13. None of the rest dared join them. Why? Because, in other words, in a formal sense, what do you mean formal? In other words, publicly committing to the group. Okay? Again, specifically talking about the local church. That same word also is used of joining to a harlot. There again, you see that intimate, personal connection. Whether you're a harlot or a wife... It doesn't sound right. Uh, <laughs> you know, the point is, he's talking about this word join means a very intimate, personal, close connection. So you just can't look at that and say, well, someone got saved and they're just kind of wandering. No, we're not talking about that. See, the church models it. In uh, 1 Corinthians 5.1, remember there's a, a sexually immoral man. And Paul says this, he tells the church to exclude this man from the assembly. But think about this, you can't exclude somebody that wasn't, first of all, part of the assembly. 
In fact, you may want to turn it. 1 Corinthians 5. I'm going to go to verse 12. Because again, it's, it really just, it just like, just flows all over the place that this guy was connected to the local body. Verse 12. 1 Corinthians 12, or 5, 12. For what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Well, who's that? That's people who are not believers, who are not connected to a local church. Do you not judge those who are inside? What do you mean inside? Inside the local church. But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from you, yourselves, the evil person. Remove that evil person. So again, it's more than just a casual association. I mean, Paul's telling the the church at Corinth, put them out. Which means he originally was in. In fact, again, because of time, we don't can't go all the. But it, go to I mean, Second Corinthians two six talks about another church discipline situation, and it says this that um, the punishment inflicted by the majority. Well, again, you can only have a majority if you already have a group that said, "I am a part of the church." <laughs> you can't have a mature uh, a, ma- a majority of an unknown group, right? But there, the majority was supposed to inflict hardship on this person. So again, not to make it hard on his life, but so that he would repent. If you take all the one and others of Scripture, I think you really start filling out this picture. Because the one and others are really going to, you know, how do we function with each other? Or if you go to 1 Timothy chapter 5, it talks about those women who are under 60, you don't help but those who are over 60 you know part of the widow's list we call it uh, again a specific number of women who qualified for special care by the church because they were part of the church that's 1 Timothy 5 3 to 11 so i think you can very clearly see that the church models it they modeled it by adding in the Jerusalem church they model it by how paul responded to the sinner and to put him outside you know, uh, no longer allow him in, put him outside. He's no longer inside. Uh, how about the fourth one? Church leadership requires it. So not only does the church model it, but church leadership, and I mean leadership as the elders, it requires it. I was thinking about this, that I am a limited man. <laughs> I... I I want you to know this. This is a very, very, very important point as it pertains to uh, myself as an elder, that I am not omniscient. I wish I was. No, really, if I was omniscient, it'd be real easy. In fact, if I was omniscient, I wouldn't even worry about church membership. I know who you are. I know your state before God. I know your sins. I know how I had to deal with you. But I'm not. That's where the problem is. So now, see, I'm supposed to know my sheep. Like over in Luke, remember how Jesus uh, was counseling as far as the sheep, the shepherd. I mean, it's, 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 it's in the different context, but remember the one sheep that went away? 99 were left. And he says, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which he has lost until he finds it? Now, again, I understand the context is a little, I mean, it's different than what I'm talking about, but he's making a point when it comes to shepherding. You've got to know your sheep. 
And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, now catch this, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep. I found it. I lost it because I knew who were my sheep. Any responsible shepherd has to have, uh, has to have an understanding of who are the sheep that he, he's responsible to shepherd. It's a definitive, it's a, a specific number. And that's what Peter gets at, like in 1 Peter chapter 5, when it says, to the elders among you. Again, talking to a local church, the elders who are among you. You've got to have a local church, but not only a local church, but a local church that identifies itself with the body of believers. Again, formal church membership. In fact, 1 Peter 5, verse 2, the next verse says, Shepherd the flock of God which is among you under your care. Again, a definite number of people for which pastors are responsible. I'm obligated to shepherd those people who say, I want to be connected. That's who I'm responsible to shepherd. In fact, I would say of elders, this probably is the hardest thing about elder, eldering, <laughs> shepherding, is knowing who's part, who's committed. That's hard. It's very, very difficult to shepherd when you're not sure. Again, 1 Peter 5, 2, serving as overseers, not as being lords over those entrusted to you. Those entrusted to you, I think, points directly to formal church leadership. Those specifically allotted to you. That's literally what it means. Those specifically allotted to you. Writer is talking about those in the local church. A definite, specific Number. How do you get that number? Just anybody that says they're believers? I know a lot of people in, the, in this area that say they're believers, but they're not specifically someone that I believe. that I See, I hear of people who say they're believers that are in sin. I don't feel responsible as a shepherd, as an elder, to go to them, unless they connected themselves. So again, I think Scripture is, uh, or leadership uh, definitely moves us in this direction, right? Again, Hebrews 13, 17, a very familiar verse. But think about how it's played out. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Ah, that's, that's a heavy verse. That's one of those verses I... Whew. You mean, Lord, that I'm going to give an account of those who have put their lives under my care? Yes. That's what it's saying there as those who must give an account. So if I have to give an account, I need to know who, are, who am I responsible to give an account for. See, church leadership requires church membership because otherwise I don't know who I'm supposed to give an account for. That's a heavy burden. I mean, I do not take that lightly. I do not take that lightly. The way I look at pastoring and shepherding is I'm just trying to get you from present to the time you meet Jesus. That's really what it is all about. That is what I'm, that is my purpose in life, is to get you between now and Jesus. And if you decide to leave this church, then now to that point, right? After that point, by the way, I have people leave the church and they say, well, I want you to still pray for me. No, be honest with you, I've got too many already. I shouldn't say that, I mean, but... You know what I'm saying? I've already, I've already got a lot on my plate. Let's say it that way. Yes, but if you're going to another church, you make sure they take care of your spiritual needs because that's the whole point. 
do we agree with that? I mean, I love praying for people, and I might pray. I'm not saying I'll never pray for a person, but to shepherd, I guess that's a better way to... No, I'm not going to. Because you're moved to another church. That's the point. In fact, that's why I call the pastor. Hey, I just wanted to give you a heads up. So-and-so's there, you know. Because when I call, if I call, when I call, that's like my the baton is passed. And I think all the elders feel the same way, I think. So, again, none of these, I hope, are harsh terms or harsh words. This is just reality. Shepherding is very difficult. And I want you to be part of it. And part of it is saying, okay, I see. I've got to commit because, you know, how, I mean, leadership, I mean, it just it requires it. Church leadership requires, I've got to know who. First uh, Thessalonians 5.12, as we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you. Again, among you, that's local church and are over you. By publicly committing to be members of their flock, they are saying, in effect, I commit to listening to your teaching, following your direction, and submitting to your leadership. That's what they were saying. up. I'm going to listen. I'm going to heed. I'm going to change. I'm going to follow because I understand that shepherding is hard. You know, leadership is difficult. And then finally, church discipline demands it. We already saw it. The bottom line is, how can you discipline somebody that's outside the church? That's impossible. They haven't even connected. How can you put someone out that hasn't been put in? (laughs) You can't expel someone that's never joined. Now you say, and I see I'm almost out of town, but why Christians don't join them? Why, Why don't, you know, let's just go back and see this very quickly. Why don't Christians, and I understand, some of you may have been coming here for a long time and haven't. I, I want you to understand, I, I understand, my own wife said, is it really that important? I love that woman. She's coming home on Tuesday. <laughs> I, I'm not like frustrated with you. I certainly hope you don't get frustrated with me. I'm just trying to show you what the Bible says. But I can see why people may not join. I, one would be ignorance. I don't see the church membership in Scripture in I just told you, it isn't explicitly there. Some would just say, well then... But see, there's a lot of other things that cannot happen without church membership, which I've just gone over. So it might be ignorance. It might be fear or, or against accountability. Sometimes it's sinful, like no one's going to tell me what to do, but sometimes it's like, you know, like the person that was wearing the T-shirt and just said, question authority. That's, that kind of summarizes America so often. We just get so leery of authority. But maybe it's because you had a bad experience. I've heard of horror stories as it pertains to how people have been treated in churches. Or maybe when they joined the church, it was a burdensome process, you know, like, like you know, 12 pages you had to fill out and go to, I mean, you know, or 12 weeks. And I mean, it, sometimes it gets overboard. Ours is basically four weeks. You fill out basically your intention. Give us your testimony. I mean, it's it's extensive, but it's not like I've heard of other churches. So I mean, you might you know say, man, if you know, do I have to go through the gauntlet just to join? No. You know, another reason why people don't join is com- consumerism. You know, I I just want to go where the action is. The question usually is this: How are you going to meet my need? My need. Me, 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 me. Was I on? See, that's church hopping. That's just church hopping. 
Because they'll only be here as long as something's happening, and then they'll be gone. Not really a commitment to the body, to the family, as we've been saying. A parachurch explosion, that's another reason why people don't... You know, the church has failed in whatever reason, but, man, I am so thankful for Inside for Living. I'm so thankful for Family Life Ministry. I'm so thankful for uh, Grace to You. I am so very, very thankful for Focus on the Family. Focus, oh, yes, thank you, Lord. And they've just kind of given up on church for whatever reason. You know, maybe they've seen it with a bunch of hypocrites or whatever. It's kind of like the placard that, uh, you know, they say, hey, I love Jesus, I want a relationship with him, but it's the corporate stuff I don't want. It's like the placard the student wore that said, um, Jesus, yes, you know, placard. Church, no. You know, they were just frustrated with it. Two other things. Maybe it's just a lack of commitment. I mean, you look at their life, and it's like they're not committed to anything anyways. You know, their marriage, they're not committed to their children, they're not committed to their job, they're not committed to anything. Well, they're not going to be committed to the church. You know, we live in a club mentality society. I want my freedom. I just want, how are you going to serve me? You know, this is the one, though, I think sometimes gets it right here. Personal differences. Uh, they don't think exactly like me, and underline the word exactly. They don't think like me exactly. See, I'm going to a church, but they don't exactly think like me. Well, question, maybe there is a disagreement with the statement of faith, but I would say this. I think there's three options with that one. Question one. Does the church teach against and do not, does not hold to the fundamentals? Like, if... They don't believe in the sufficiency and the authority and the inerrancy of Scripture or the deity of Christ or the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice. Well, then, to be honest with you, the option one is don't go to that church. <laughs> How about option two? Maybe you say, well, I don't, ex- I don't agree exactly with what they teach. Maybe God wants you to be teachable and humble, and maybe what they're teaching is correct, and you need to be brought along. That's a possibility. But I think maybe third, it could be this, that there are first issues, major issues, and then secondary minor issues. Example, this is a big one. Uh, in eschatology, end times. You know, we have, uh, we've had people that have joined our church that are not premillennial. We are premillennial, but there were, uh, Fred Falco was amillennial. Secondary, he still, I love Fred, he, he loved us and we worked together well. That's secondary. Do you think Fred Falco believed in the inerrancy of Scripture? The sufficiency of Christ, his sacrifice? Yeah. You know, you've got to believe on the fundamentals. And, and you know what? We're all fellow strugglers. We all have heresy in some parts of our theology. And we just say, you know what? These are secondary disagreements. Eh, you may not agree with the total, total uh, style of our music or the philosophy of ministry or the, even the personality of this wonderful pastor. But it doesn't mean that... <laughs> You may feel like the church at times is stuffy or you may feel like it's too casual. I mean, you know what? I'm glad that you have to be challenged in those areas. That's where we grow. I, I like it that we're not all the same. And then I have to give and you do too, right? That's, that's humility. Maturity, maturity says that it's not all about me. It's about me serving and loving you and serving the king. I see I'm just about out of time. Let me end with this last thing. I I hope I've shown you what the church is. I hope I've shown you 
that there are a number of reasons why membership has to be biblical. Just discipline in the local church and how it models it and even the flow of Old Testament and church leadership and everything else, I mean, it just points towards it. There are reasons why, you know, people haven't joined. And again, I don't look at, I'm not looking like at some of you and saying, I know who I'm talking about. And I'm like, you know, I, I wish I could say your name. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm, hey, I am preaching this for your benefit, not mine. I am. Even though the one area of church leadership, it is tough. I sometimes wonder, are they connected or are they not? How, I mean, do I pray for non-members? Yes. Do I care about your soul? Absolutely. Now, again, if you tell me you're going to Hillside, and I'm going to call him up and say, hey, listen, he's going, they're going down there. You know what I mean? But you're here. I'm praying for you. I'm, I'm concerned about you. I'm concerned about your family. I'm, but again, it's that commitment. I'm not sure. So how do I deal with sin if I see it in your life? Well, I'm leaving. Well, you never joined. <laughs> you know, he's hard. Now, let's, let, let me just finish up with this. Let me give you some reasons for me, uh, the benefits, the benefits. Well, one, it is important for evangelism. It is very, very important for the witnessing value. See, if a church is full of members who claim to be Christians but live like the world, then non-believers will look at the church and say, what's the big deal? They're just a bunch of hypocrites with funny beliefs. That's unfortunately how the world looks at Christians. Well, they're not acting any different. And therefore, the unbelievers confirm their thinking that the gospel is a lie. That's if you're just full of church, of people who just do anything they want. But if a church is full of people who are genuine believers, who are united in Christ, despite any worldly differences, who genuinely love and forgive one another despite their sin who constantly grow in reflecting the character of Christ, and who bear the witness of the gospel together, the non-Christians will be dumbfounded as they search for an explanation. See, if you have a biblical church, it's a great witness to the unbeliever. Because that church, well, that church is not perfect, but there's a difference. See, the only satisfying explanation for such a church is that the gospel they believe and preach is true, that Jesus Christ has come into the world to save sinners by bearing God's wrath against them by his death on the cross. See, it makes sense. I got it. And the world should see us and it should be a light because we function different than the world does. And how does that different happen? Because they have eternal life. They've received Christ. It's made a difference. That's why I, I say it again. Slander and gossip is so destructive, not to Christians only, to the unbeliever. Because the unbeliever says, See? I knew they were a bunch of hypocrites. Let me give you a few benefits of church membership to you, though. We just talk about the world to you. It commits you, the Christian, it commits you. See, it's good to commit yourself to love and serve one another to encourage, to build up, to strengthen, to rebuke, to pray for each other. What does membership do? It commits you. And in an uncommittal society, and the flesh doesn't want to commit, and that's very good for the growth. Number two, others are committed to you. See, not only does it commit you, but others are committed to you, to love you, to serve you, to watch over you spiritually. Like I said, I want you to get this. If you, if you get this wrong, 
Do I love you? And I'm not saying you as a member is you as a... Yes, I love you. But again, I feel like sometimes... Sometimes you have the tools right there that God wants to grow you and, and we don't take advantage of them. And one of them is formal church membership. I love you. I pray for you. I care for you. Many... No, I, no, I weep for you. There's times where... Yeah. It just hurts my heart. And I know the same with the elders. It hurts our heart to see, you know, the direction sometimes people take. Uh, number three, how, how does it best benefit you? Elder protection. You know, we looked at it already. Again, we care for you, pray for you, personally counsel, teach you, because we're being held accountable. I mean, what drives me, I think it drives every one of the elders, is someday we give an account. It's not about power. Sometimes people look at church leadership as power. That's the last thing. I, I have to give an account to the great shepherd. Do you understand that? We have to give an account. You will give a personal account of your own life. You'll give an account for how you raise your family and stuff like that. But on top of that, an elder has to give an account for us. So, but elder protection. Number three or four, personal protection. That's another thing about membership, personal protection. The worst thing that can happen to a Christian is not persecution. In fact, if anything, Jesus said, blessed are you when you're persecuted, for my name's sake. Paul said, and it's not physical injury. Paul said, listen, I take pleasure in infirmity. It's not death. Absent from the body, what? Present with the Lord. I'll tell you what the thing you have to watch out for, though. The one thing that should make us tremble is the prospect of being overtaken by sin. That's what should make us fearful. That I could be overcome by sin. I could be overcome by sin and I would be an island and have nobody rescue me. That would, does that terrify you? That should. That you could be that person that could fall into sin and nobody even, because you're not connected. In his book, Stop Dating the Church, Josh Harris points out that it's, confront, it's comforting to know. Now he wrote the book, Stop Dating the Church. And Josh Harris writes, it's comforting to know his church would kick him out rather than tolerate his unrepentant sin. (laughs) Being a church member means that a whole church full of people are committed to helping you live a life that is pleasing to God. Even to the point of excluding you from the church member or the church fellowship if you stop repenting of sin. Now again, this may sound harsh to some. But we should remember the deceitfulness of our own sin. And that should bring us comfort. By the way, if someone comes to you and speaks hard words to you, would you be willing to receive it? Because again, what we should fear is not persecution and not suffering and not death. It's that we would be an island to ourselves, and sin would have its way with us without anybody rescuing us. Membership, though, says, hey, we care about one another. Not just the pastor caring, not just the elders caring, not just the deacons caring. We care for one another. And finally, I believe assurance. Assurance. A person can profess, but as they get into the church, they see that profession and you get assurance because you know what? I have been confronted. I have had to confront. I've had to encourage. In other words, I've seen God work through me to others. That's a confirmation of my own new life in Christ. So membership itself should bring assurance. So my admonition to you this morning as we go before the Lord to sing his praises is stop dating the church. If you're dating the church, I would encourage you to stop dating. 
Dan Kenyon, the first pastor who was here when I first came, used to say this, if you like the girl, marry her. If you like the girl, marry her. So again, stop dating. If you like the girl, I know we're not all perfect. We might have some disagreements, but again, are they secondary? If you like the girl, marry her. We're going to be having a membership class here in just a couple more weeks. We're going to do another membership. Again, why why membership? Oh, Pastor, you just want to get a bigger membership. It has nothing to do with that. I care about you. I care about you and that what God has given on this earth, the local church, that you would benefit the most from for your own personal growth.